The Intrafish podcast is brought to you by DSM Animal Nutrition and Health, accelerating sustainable and profitable aquaculture. Hello and welcome to the Intrafish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, joined today by John Fiorillo, Executive Editor. Hey, we're actually only going to talk about one topic today because it felt like that was all we were writing about. Well, that's not really true, of course. It was a full week of all kinds of things, but land-based salmon... Uh, filled our pages, some of it intentional, uh, and a lot of it just breaking news that was uh, coming out from new planned projects, uh, some new assessments by uh, the Canadian government about land-based salmon and the potential for that in British Columbia. So it was busy, busy, uh, and there's a lot to catch up on. Now, we know that this sector is one of the most closely watched uh, in, in aquaculture. It seems to have captured the imaginations of investors and um, NGOs and all kinds of people because they see it as part of this larger circular economy. But investors are investors. They want to see a return. They want to minimize risk. And last year was not a good one for risk. Uh, actually, the last few years haven't been good for, for risk, really. Um, but that didn't seem to bother investors until last year when a lot of them dumped land-based salmon stocks. And you saw some real sharp declines, over 80% decline for Atlantic Sapphire, which is the canary in the proverbial coal mine. People are looking at Sapphire to see if this is all going to work because they have the most ambition and the most financial backing at this stage. So, uh, and they're furthest along on creating a large project, large commercial scale project. So, as they struggled, so did the rest of the industry, uh, and so did um, so did a lot of uh, so did a lot of investors. Uh, and so, the efforts to finance some of these projects really ran into some headwinds, and we heard a little bit about that this week as well. So why don't we start with a list that our colleague Hannah Gazelius has been working on for quite some time of pretty much all the projects of note, all the land-based salmon farming projects of note across the world. It took a lot of compiling. It took a lot of work putting this together. Uh, a little thanks to Brian Vinci of the Freshwater Institute who helped fill in some of the holes as we pass this around to some people and got some input. So, John, over to you. What did we find? We've done this list, I think, in the past. We did it in 2019. Uh, I believe we did it two years prior to that. We've kept check on this. Um, what struck you when you read this list versus where we were three, five, ten years ago? Well, I mean, I guess what struck me is there are still so many projects out there. Now, that being said, there are still so many projects out there that haven't moved or that we really don't know what the status is. So um, you walk away from that list and you see 
you know, I think it was described many years ago as, uh, you know, projects are just PowerPoint presentations. And I think that's still, you know, a lot of the situation. However, however, to be fair, you know, we are seeing fish now produced uh, nowhere near the promised amount. In fact, in the story about the list, we we quote um, Kuntali, which is a market analyst, and this is astounding. Think about this. By early 2022, last year, the promised, I'll just say the promised or anticipated production that all these companies combined uh, were forecasting was 2.2 million metric tons. That's what if you add up all the promises and all the forecasting that these uh, projects have done to this point, that's what you would come up with. That's, you know, darn, very darn close to what net pen production is currently in the world. Okay, that sounds great, right? Hmm. However, Contali, uh, <laughs> they actually kind of took a, a, a a true eye to this and what they can come up with is there's likely to be no more than 13,000 metric tons of lamb-based salmon I maybe steelhead at the same time but lamb-based salmon produced by 2025 so this 2.2 million uh, uh, dream so to speak, or, you know, whatever you want, exuberance, uh, you want to call it. If you throw cold water on it and you put some analysis to it based on what is actually happening at, happening at the moment, you got 13,000 metric tons three years from now. Now, is that pessimistic? Is, is, is Contali going to be way off in 2025? I don't know, but what's showing what's telling anybody out there that it's gonna be well certainly not too much tons that's just complete bullshit but what's what's telling anybody it's going to be more than thirteen thousand metric tons i I don't know well first off we can trust the contali numbers and the reason we can trust them uh first off they they do an incredible job analyzing salmon, so I will I will say that uh, about Cantali. But also, they're tracking very closely the smolt placement, uh, egg placement. Uh, they're really actually looking at the nuts and bolts of this. All of these companies, it's very important that they communicate to the industry. Well, <laughs> communicate to investors. Um, and to the press, we get so many announcements and so many of these little drip, drip, drip of companies wanting to keep in the headlines. Um, but it's so important to them to communicate and remind investors, hey, we're here. Hey, we're making progress. Hey, we've reached this milestone, that milestone. Well, it doesn't matter until you have smolt, until you have fish in your pens, uh, or tanks rather, until you have fish in your tanks you're 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 not anywhere and no matter what you say about when you're going to actually be harvesting fish at 18 months that's that's the fact that's how long it takes for salmon to get to be market size more or less so it's impossible that you're going to see 
you know, Cantali said, all right, below 50,000 metric tons by 2025. That's a, obviously a very, very moving target, depending on how much is put into tanks uh, this year. So that 50,000 metric tons is, that's probably the very, very, very highest ceiling of what you're going to see. That's it, because there's no way for people to quietly, not with us all over them and Cantali and uh, especially the stock listed one, there's no way for people to be magically hiding uh, tens of thousands of metric tons of salmon that's going to come from tanks onto the market. It's just not going to happen. Now, yeah, and I think I misspoke that 13,000 metric tons was for what's likely yeah for 2022 yeah. but you're right by 2025 it's 50,000 doesn't change the calculus in my mind at all that's not a lot of fish period okay sorry yeah now so taking your point you know i i think that it is there's no doubt it's going to play a role it can be done uh and it can be done um in a way that is profitable we're we're seeing that and that's going to be very very important is it can it get down to the level uh where you're competing with farm salmon production uh, conventional farm salmon production so or at least are you getting a a margin are you getting a uh, premium on your fish somehow by highlighting the the circular nature of it the local nature of it those two are going to be critical but one of the companies that's really been and it's the new darling right now is salmon evolution it's norway based no surprise most of these companies doing land base are norway based or norway backed or have somewhere their genesis is in norway um but salmon evolution um stock listed on the oslo stock exchange they have been showing some pretty impressive uh, forward movement, and I think they put some wind in the sails of the industry. Um, their first batch had uh, 340 metric tons. Fish weighed an average of 3.75 kilograms head-on gutted, and that's getting close to that four to six area that um, customers look for um, in terms of the size of the fish. And what is interesting here is they they said the average price for the fish they got was knock 75 to knock 78 per kilo um which seems low right now because prices are exploding right now again on the on the uh on the nasdaq uh market or, or on the spot market rather but however at the time this is from their quarterly report uh, that was uh, around 20, about 30 cents per kilo higher than the NASDAQ price for salmon, which is kind of the, you know, the, the, the gold standard for what prices are doing. So they were able to actually get more for their fish. And even more interesting, they're projecting profitability. Um, and that seems kind of crazy. Uh, because most land-based companies don't like to even mention the profit at all because there's not any in their future so it's very interesting and then they're they're also you know they, they have interesting expansion plans and they've made really i think clever partnerships um dong Wan, which is the uh owner of Starkiss, which is uh, a major major second or third largest tuna brand in the in the u.s um in a huge company um they are building together with Salmon Evolution a farm in Korea, 
huge farm in Korea. And so they've got that partnership. They're looking now in Washington State, talking to some tribes here and, uh, and to some, uh, some counties. So that's been kind of interesting. And I think it's put some wind back in the sale, uh, sales despite all of these challenges and despite what we're, we're seeing of all these kind of dreams. But, okay, let's set that aside for a moment. Uh, that's a, a, a nice story. Um, uh, but let's get back to, John, what you were discussing, which is uh, if you're an investor, how do you separate out what is real and what is not uh, and what is just uh, imagination or, or pretend uh, ideas? I mean, how... How do they go about doing it? Something we talk about all the time. But um, now that we have this list together and we are going through and uh, looking at all these companies, I mean, what was what was your takeaway? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I I've never been in the investment world, so I don't know how they operate. But at the very least, I would hope they visit um, the the companies and talk to the executives um, and make sure they fully understand you know what the what the uh, raceway what the you know what it looks like how how long is this really gonna take you know you can you can forgive investors a little bit for their enthusiasm over the years for this because it all makes such sense you know we're gonna produce salmon on land it's not gonna be any environmental footprint to worry about, you know, um, and no disease, any of that. These things are going to be close to major markets, so you don't have to worry about flying this stuff all over the place and all the costs and, you know, climate implications of that. It, it, you can see why they'd be excited about this. And, I mean, they should be. Those are wonderful aspects of it. And, um really the the key to it all right but and you know i'm gonna get i'm gonna get yelled at for this but there isn't a lot happening and you know people who don't like when i say that say well it's a brand new industry it takes time and i totally agree there with that i i mean if you go back and look at the birth of net pen farming in in uh norway you'll see that it took a long time and a lot of investment but, you know, how much longer before we hit some sort of tipping point or will we not? Will we just drip, drip, slow drip until we wake up one day and we say, oh, wow, yeah, okay, we're actually producing like 300,000 metric tons now. Um, I mean, the one you, you just mentioned, uh, Salmon Evolution, their best projection is 100,000 metric tons by 2032. Uh, what year is it? 2023. I mean, I, I'll do the math real quick. That that that's a long time, right? So, um, that's probably realistic. I would say that's probably more realistic than you know what you see with oh, we're going to produce you know 60,000 metric tons by 2025, and their first crop out is 300 tons or you know 100 tons or something like that. I, I don't know. I, 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 if I were to give any advice to investors, I, I would say you know tread carefully. Really understand, you know who the team is because the team is so important to this. Um, 
and talk to people like Brian Vinci and some of those other people who've been around this forever just to get a sense of like, does this make any sense? You know? So I know I'm kind of down on it right now and, and, and I'm really not, I'm just, I'm just trying to keep a, a, an open mind to, to this, but understanding at the same time that, you know, you can't go out and keep promising and promising and promising. And then, you know, four years in, not even have broken ground. I mean, you know, that's the other aspect of this that nobody really anticipated. I don't think trying to put these things in a local community sounds great. Sounds, you know, the first thing you hear, we're going to generate a hundred jobs. Okay. Well, yep. Cool. However, you're going to run into Pitchfork Mary and Pitchfork Bob who don't want anything like this in their view or near their house or whatever it may be. And, you know, Maine being the prime example, I mean, they are derailing these projects left and right. Well, it's not just Maine, right? It's, I mean, it's everywhere that they're going to run into these issues. Um, I know Pure Salmon in France. Uh, and um, in Sweden, the project's there, you know, so it's not so, not so simple, you know. Um, uh, we, we found, now we called some, uh, we, we took some off where we felt like, look, we can't find anything at all. We maybe wrote about it 15 years ago or something, um, but we came up with 90 that we, we're pretty certain existed um and we're able to at least identify okay there is a business plan somewhere filed it's not just complete bs um but you know the fragmentation is what's shocking to me that is something that really is going to need to be addressed um there's a very interesting Carl Oystan Oyahog. He's the uh, CFO of Atlantic Sapphire. And he had a great quote in, um, in Hana's story about how the biggest challenge, uh, the biggest challenge for, uh, for the land-based salmon farming sector is that it doesn't have standardization. So there's no real best practices. You know, a lot of people have this tweak, that tweak, uh, you have different companies that are doing the construction, uh, different designers. And then, as you said, there's people with all kinds of expertise. I, I do want to say that it's important to remember that this isn't just starting from scratch, though. That's really important, that the salmon farming industry, I'm assuming a lot of people know, but I'll say it just in case... Um, well, I know there's a lot of listeners out there that are, are less maybe embedded in the industry. So this is this is for you. Um, is that uh, salmon uh, conventional salmon farms spend a good portion of their life uh, as smolt. And that's the key and the critical part of, of salmon farming is that you raise uh, good, healthy smolt. So from eggs to, let's just call them tiny fish, um, if, if we're going to break it down. I hate it when people say baby salmon. That drives me nuts. But anyway, <laughs> tiny, tinier, younger, juvenile. Anyway, but those small, they're getting raised to larger and larger levels because 
um, when your fish is in the water, when it's in the ocean, that's when you have more risk of disease, sea lice, escapes, predation, all the things that make raising fish hard. Um, so companies have more and more focused on keeping smolt in uh, in uh, smolt facilities up to about 1.5 kilograms. So if you think about that, we're not talking about a major sort of um, giant moonshot here to go from 1.5 kilos to um, 4.5 kilos, 4 kilos. I mean, it's obviously it's a big gulf. It's not easy. It's not simple. But it's been done. The technology is there, absolutely. However, um, you have to find technicians to do that. You have to find people that want to uh, that that want to go take a risk on a startup. So, if I'm a hatchery technician at Movie, and I'm making a pretty good salary and have health care, and I can live where I want to, you know, in one of the the locations that uh, I'm based. Um, that, that's quite different than if you say, uh, I don't know, let's say pure salmon China, for example, and you say, all right, I'm going to start this project. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to move to China and wow, we'll do something here. Um, now that's great and exciting for some people, but that's not necessarily, um, going to attract the best talent to build these things up. So that's an, that's another aspect that's, um, that's going to be a, a challenge for a lot of these uh, a lot of these companies. But you know, this week again, we spent so much time on land-based salmon this week, and and we do write a lot about it because there's so much interest and in, and it is fascinating. And any kind of advances, I have to say, and I think this is what you were getting at, John. Is it's our job to be uh, critical, but also highlight innovation and change and things that are moving the industry forward. And this is one of them where uh, as you were saying, it's it's uh, it's important to cast a critical eye, but I think in general, uh, this is a really positive thing for the industry to be moving and developing a new segment. This week, though, was really really uh, nutso for news coming uh, out about the industry. Now, one was this uh, Canadian government report that. Um, that uh, was looking at the pr the prospect the prospects for land-based salmon production in BC as part of the Liberal government's um, uh, ruling when Trudeau was elected that by 2025 there would be a transition away from conventional net pens to closed containment. Now that's still up in the air because I think they ran into a buzzsaw of reality about what what exactly salmon farming is and the jobs it uh, supports, etc. But this report on land-based salmon said it was at least, at least 10 years away before there was any significant production there. And as a matter of fact, that's even kind of making it sound better than it, than the report actually found. I mean, it really was down on the idea of a land-based salmon sector being developed in BC. So that was fascinating because it really undercut one of the big arguments that has been made uh, by opponents of salmon farming in BC that we could simply move salmon on land um, or in, into closed containment projects 
that's becoming kind of more of interest to some opponents. But initially, and if you'll remember, John, I mean, it was really land, 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 land. Um, it was, we need to get land-based salmon. Um, all the aquaculture opponents really push for that. But this report is pretty... Um, <laughs> I, I would not be looking at BC as uh, a place to expect uh, a lot of, of land-based salmon coming out. No, and these are the, the reports and the, the information that to, answer, to talk about your question earlier. These are the materials that investors have to really pay attention to. You know, um, I, I, you know, dig down in that report. I didn't dig down in the report myself. I didn't write that story, but I mean, I can imagine there's really good information in there, you know? So I, I just, yeah, I, uh, you know, one, one thing though, you mentioned a minute ago is about this being an emerging sector, uh, that is heavily dependent on really some fascinating technology, water for, purification, etc. And I think that's great because you hear so many times, oh, seafood industries never evolves. It's just the way it used to be, blah, blah. Um, but that that is so untrue. It's untrue, especially in the aquaculture end of the business where, I mean, if people really, under, if the layman out there, the people who are not in this industry, really understood what level of technology is being uh, uh, in, in implemented in, in aquaculture, I think they would, they would be astounded. So from that perspective, you know, it's, it's a bravo. It's, we, we are on the cutting edge with a lot of this. And, you know, again, I, I, I get frustrated, but as people who know more than I do tell me all the time, you, you got to be patient. This takes time. It's complicated. And and that's true. But it's also very precarious because if the power goes out and you're not ready for it, all your fish are dead. It's it's really that simple. So, um, but yeah, no, I... I, again, to go back to your original question, I think investors really need to go slowly with this. And, you know, it's like a horse race. When you go to make your bet at the window, you hope you did a little research and, and you picked the right horse, right? I mean, because one of them's going to win and one isn't, so or a lot aren't. So, um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's... The, looking at the list there was so many projects that i was reminded of that we hadn't thought about in so long um that yeah. it it just was it was kind of shocking to think oh my god this was a you know this was supposed to be a, a big project and it had big plans had big backers even the ones that have the most uh promise i would say that have the right people that have the right money behind it they're struggling as well. Um, and this this week we wrote about West Coast Salmon. That's got the backing of Brigal Partners. Brigal uh, has uh, ownership in American Seafoods, which is the largest holder of directed uh, pollock quota in the Bering Sea. Um, very big company and board members from American Seafoods. Um, Nutreco has come in as a, as a, a backer on that um the the feed giant so you've got 
people that really, really know what they're doing. And yet that one's really struggled to find financing as well. So um, it, I would believe, and the chairman, I spoke to him yesterday, and he's still very bullish about the prospects of it and that the financing will fall into place. But, you know, he, he, he said that last year was a challenge um, just because of the general macroeconomic climate, but also just the concerns people are watching and seeing, oh yeah, Atlantic Sapphire had this problem and, you know, they had a, a fire, they had all these little issues that, you know, it's part of, you could say it's part of learning how to do this, but sure is spooky for an investor when they're being asked to put up $100 million. Yeah, and, and what we need is we need some sort of model that can be replicated relatively easily in different places. And by that, I mean, let's just say Sapphire is the is a model that ultimately produces 25,000 metric tons a year. Let's just throw that number out. I, I know their numbers are different, but whatever that model is from the structure itself to the equipment within to the management of it that has to be able to be um, transferred to outside of boston let's say or uh upstate new york or name another major market chicago somewhere by chicago when when a company has it that tight and that well um done and that that they can just go somewhere else and pretty much copy paste then we we're really getting somewhere but right now we've got you said 90 companies let's just say a third of them are legit uh in in the sense that they might make it i mean they're all one-offs right so we're gonna have all these one-off plants uh or uh, farms in places and so what's the logical next step for them? Well, they're going to have to replicate it. But, you know, the, the whole process is, is just, it's just wild west at this point. And it will take some time before it could get to uh, a point where you can just copy paste and put these in major markets uh, or near major markets so you can supply those markets, which is the holy grail of this technology. Um from the get-go so right i mean you know the also this week there were new projects announced uh and one of them um that is in the works or i guess we could say with a lot of these just being planned discussed uh floated is a project based in grimsby uk which is the central hub for seafood processing in the uk um and it's a smaller project uh, which I think is smart to start small, but uh, the former CEO of Scottish Salmon Company, Craig Anderson, and former M&J and uh, just a longtime executive in the industry, Mike Berthet, um, both uh, are involved in this project. And I think that's the type of project that is very interesting. If you can actually build it where there is existing infrastructure for processing, for distribution, for sales, just general know-how. And so I think, as you said, John, this idea that 
there's you can just set these up anywhere uh you know i think the ones where you're seeing them in far-flung locations uh without any commercial partners or without any real uh, system in place for distributing them then i think you should really think about the reality of that and you know gosh i would say we've got out of these nearly 100 projects I would be surprised if by that 2025 date that Quintali uh, mentioned that they're being under 50,000 metric tons, I would bet that half of these companies within three years, by the end of 2025, and I don't even know if you can call them companies, half of these projects are dead. Um, and it's probably going to be even more as you get five years out. So, because there's a race for money. You know, and there has been, and I think some investors, I know some investors have been absolutely burned. Um, so, so start that. I think that's a, a a very very interesting point because start the clock at eighteen months. Okay, the eighteen months is how long it's going to take once you get those smalt, whatever size you want, into the grow out tanks. It's going to take 18 months to get them to a market size of four kilos or whatever that is. Okay. So if you haven't even started breaking ground yet, <laughs> which so many of them haven't, um, it's going you know, 18 months is where you start. So if I start tomorrow, however long it takes me to build this and all, let's say it's two years or a year. Add on 18 months, at least. I mean, 2025, no no way in hell, dude. I mean, no, <laughs> no. So, yeah, you know, and, and, and bravo. I don't want to disparage all the smaller enterprises out there that are already producing product. Taste of BC, some of the other ones on the East Coast. I mean, they are very small in the scope of things, but they are kicking out product on a consistent basis and getting it to their customer base, um, you know, whether it's food service or retail, um, doesn't matter. But, um, but ultimately, you have to wonder if that is the model and the idea the ambitious and courageous idea that's Atlantic Sapphire if that really could be the model or not maybe maybe but the model that seems to be working right now is a much smaller version of that and I don't know how that scales into a significant sector over time yeah I think the smaller ones are going to be it's an interesting model, but I don't. I, the whole point is that they're small, so I can't see some of these projects scaling just because of the tech. Um, they're not really set up for that, and nor is that their intention. Um, but you know, they're fun to watch. It's it is it something that will significantly contribute to the supply of of fish. Um, you know, in any any real way and alleviate the, the growth restrictions that we have in salmon. Not really. Um, not that we can see right now. And again, unless there are some projects that we do not know about that are ready to pump out salmon, 
Um, and there are several projects. I, I let me be. Let me have the caveat on that. There are several projects in China, for example, that there's some that we uh, left on the list because we we know and could verify that they're actual projects. But there are several others that are mentioned in the Chinese press or uh, people have mentioned at conferences that, you know, we don't have a reporter in China um, and the available information uh, from some of the groups that supply them with equipment is just not there. Um, so who knows? Maybe there's going to be some massive volume coming out of China we don't know about. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, but, uh, but at any rate, it's, it's fun to watch and it's, um, man, you know, it's, it seems to me that the investor appetite has just spiked right back up. So that's a wonderful thing about investors is they never, never learn regardless of the sector. Um, in 20 years, it's just been, um, it's been wonderful, I guess you could say, to see investors go into sectors, go out of sectors and say it was a bad sector, then jump right back in. It's kind of seafood for you, but it attracts risk takers, that's for sure. But it it is, this is interesting week because we did, you know, over the past few days, we have seen some people, um, you know, continuing to uh, move forward and get permits and raise some funds uh Proximar in Japan uh, they just got some funds from Japanese banks uh Nordic Aqua Partners just got some financing for its project in China so things are things are moving uh things are moving forward I think to to cap this uh and and just to kind of wrap up where we are at land-based salmon right now is is the overarching trend of can we call it local localization, deglobalization, reshoring, whatever you want to call it. Um, our colleague Rachel Mutter had a great comment on it that, um, that that sort of framed it well. So if you haven't read it, go go read it. It's great. Um, but it was just a reminder of how broken the supply chain was over is, but was during COVID. I mean, it just snapped. And it just was a reminder that these trade flows that we have in place, they are far more fragile than we thought. And, you know, humans are short-sighted and we think, well, this is the way it's always been done. Well, not really, not for that long. Um, and so things change and things can change and are changing. And I do think that a lot of people really embrace the idea more than ever of local production um, all around the world in in every market. I think because people had to, number one, but also there is a recognition that globalization is, it has left, uh, it has left a lot of people behind. And I think when people that weren't left behind felt the pinch, then people kind of woke up and saw, okay, this is, this is a potentially large issue. What can we do? or this is a potentially an issue, uh, a system rather, that's not going to necessarily be in place um, in five to 10 years in the way that it is. So what can we do for food security in particular? What can we do to actually ensure we're growing enough of our own food um, that, that we 
could weather another issue like this. I don't know. Um, yeah, anyway. and that's the problem, or that's the promise of land-based uh, farming, fish farming, salmon farming, whatever, uh, ultimately. And uh, I applaud that. I think that's a great idea, I think, for all the reasons you just said. So, you know, uh, let's hope they they can make it happen because uh, I, I do think it's it's needed. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fun to watch. Not going away. Um, and certainly, again, this week we spent a lot of ink on it, uh, just trying to keep up with it. And I'm sure there's a lot more to come. So, okay, we're going to wrap it up there. We are, what, a few weeks away now? One month away from the Boston Seafood Show, uh, which is barreling down on us. And just a reminder that we'll have the Intrafish uh, Leadership Breakfast there. So we've got a great lineup of speakers, um, and we'll be moderating a a panel there. It's always a great crowd. So, again, intrafishevents.com, and you can sign up and get your ticket there. Um, hurry up, it actually is uh, getting close to filled. Also remember that you can find our coverage on intrafish.com 24-7. You can sign up for our newsletters. Speaking of, if you are an Intrafish subscriber, intrafish.com subscriber, you are able to get John Fiorillo's new newsletter, The Wave. Uh, I have been reading the early drafts of his first newsletter. I'm really excited. It's a capturing john's fantastic voice and humor and insight um it's it's really a huge value add to uh for those of you that has, have a subscription um and uh, for those of you that don't this is a great reason because every week john's going to be diving down deep into uh a lot of uh, a lot of retail and food service trends john any preview for the newsletter that you can share with our dear listeners we go inside a new uh, supermarket in the U.S., which is really selling food in a very different way. And we're hopefully uh, going to get a first look at how they're dealing with seafood. Loads of people have, have jumped in and signed up for John's newsletter. So you can find, if you just go to our front page, you'll see there's a, a, a story there uh, for how to sign up for the Wave newsletter. All right, folks, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. Intrafish podcast is brought to you by DSM Animal Nutrition and Health, accelerating sustainable and profitable aquaculture.